Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And stay with me as we read the whole psalm. Before I read it, I'll tell you that I really was <clears throat> intending on taking a smaller chunk of it. Uh, this could probably be broken down into three or four messages, but uh, I really wanted to kind of do the whole thing in one shot here and hope that it is uh, a word of comfort to you. So Psalm 103, verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Let's pray again. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, probably a dozen years or so ago, I was uh, in a McDonald's, and I had kind of a confrontation. I was waiting in line at the McDonald's, and uh, was you know, there to get my quarter pounder with cheese and fries or whatever, and these two guys walked up to me. Uh, and got behind me, and they were starting to, they started to hassle me. And they were, hey, you think you're pretty tough, huh? Who do you think you are? And I was like, hey, uh, you know, I just want a hamburger, you know? And, and they, they persisted and persisted, and as the line moved up and closer and closer, these guys were still kind of hovering over me, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do you some damage, man. And uh, they were just hassling me. And so I got my food, and I was all alone, and I, I went to the table, and I sat down, and uh, I thought, well, good, get, you know, maybe they'll leave me alone now. And they didn't. They came over. And they sat down at my table, and they were like, yeah, buddy, how you doing? And uh, yeah, we're going to... And one guy ate one of my french fries. 
And I was like, oh, I can't believe this is happening in a McDonald's. Well, I, as I say, it was uh, many years ago. And they had just kind of mass marketed these mace keychain spray things. And uh, my dad, Rudy, up in Chicago, bought all the kids one of these keychain things and sent them to us. And uh, I had had this thing on my ring for like, you know, six months. Didn't even, I didn't even remember it was there. And so here I am sitting at the McDonald's. Uh, he's eating my french fry and I was just all scared and everything. And finally, one of the two guys goes, whoa, he's got mace. And I, all of a sudden I was, yeah, that's right, buddy. You know, I'm going to spray you in the face if you don't back off, you know. And uh, what, what strikes me about that is that one moment I was full of fear. Uh, my situation was very bleak. I was uh, weak. My heart was swirling around with dread. And the next moment, in an instant, all of a sudden, I have confidence, I have strength, and I have help. And, of course, the great irony is that one of the uh, would-be uh, assailants, or antagonists anyway, was the guy that pointed out the fact that I had something there all along uh, with which I had strength and confidence. Well, I look at this passage, and I really did want to do it all in... I'm glad that it's all in one thing, because I think it'll be a, a word of comfort to you. And one of the neat things about the psalm that I love is that it uses a little literary device called an inclusio. If you notice... The, uh, in fact, uh, uh, inclusio, uh, inclusive, or you might think of an envelope. And uh, you look at the very first line in the whole psalm, it is, praise the Lord, O my soul. And you look at the very last line of the whole psalm, and it says, praise the Lord, O my soul. And one of the beautiful things when you see an inclusio like that is it's very hard to miss the topic. <laughs> Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Also, one of the things that, that ministers I know to me uh, about this psalm is that David, the psalmist here, is, is talking to whom? Who? Himself. He says, Praise the Lord, oh my soul. He's having this conversation with himself. Now, I tell you that that can be a very dangerous thing, uh, particularly in the area of worship. One of the, uh, one of the scary things uh, about uh, worship these days is that you'll hear a lot of songs that uh, have I, 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 I. And when you see, you know, count the eyes in a song, and uh, it should at least put you on alert if, there's a lot, if there are a lot of eyes in there. I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do this, and you know, basically we're singing a lot about ourselves. Uh, that happens, too, in, in public situations where we'll sing, we will do this, and we will this, and we will, we will do all this. And you really have to be careful when you see those kinds of things and analyze whether it is something that is acceptable to God or not. Well, we get a lesson from our psalmist here. The criteria by which this psalm or any song is deemed acceptable, we will see, is that it is done in a manner which is prescribed by God. You see that in uh, verse 1, he says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my innermost being. Praise his holy name. If you've got a King James Version or the Andre Crouch Version, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And you see that he starts out in a very orthodox way. If you would keep your finger there and turn to Deuteronomy 6, uh, please. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy 6. 
um, verse 3. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Ladies and gentlemen, that, I think, that this, this matter of loving the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength, I think that is a, a, a rebuke to so much of what passes for worship in the modern Christian world. I think it's, it's easy for us to uh, get up on Sunday morning and uh, cram all the kids in some vehicle that Ernie sold you and uh, you, know, you argue on the way and, and uh, we, we tend to kind of flop into church uh, 14 minutes late and bring our big, uh, blessed, bloated bodies, but we forget our, our brains. And then it's very easy for people, myself included, ladies and gentlemen, to, to bring my big old uh, egotistical, uh, you know, inflated, uh, throbbing brain and forget my heart at home. When David understands that we are to bring our all. God wants our all. Uh, Jonathan Edwards um, said that there is no true worship that does not touch the affections. And that's dangerous talk, too, particularly in a conservative, uh, reformed world, because we want to be very careful not to knee-jerk into uh, raw emotionalism where what is going on, uh, you know, supersedes our thoughts of who God is. But my friends, God states very clearly in Scripture that he is utterly repulsed by a people who pay him honor with their lips while their hearts are far from him. And David starts out rightly that God wants our all. He addresses his soul, his innermost being, and all of it. Uh, I, I used to spend a lot of time working downtown, and uh, there was a day when you could tell the crazy people uh, because they would be walking, uh, you know, just kind of uh, all alone, you know, just, just having these conversations with the air. And, of course, now we have cell phones and people have earpieces and they're walking around going, ah, ha, 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 they're having conversation with the air too. But I would say to you that, that along with the psalmist, I think, that one of our greatest problems in our own daily living is the failure to have discussions with our own souls. Rational, scriptural, God-honoring discussions with our own souls. Um, you know, we sing uh, Arise My Soul Arise. That's kind of a signature song of our church, isn't it? Well, who are we singing to? Arise, my soul. <laughs> arise. You know, shake off your guilty fears and rise. But not for no reason. We sing about um, our God being reconciled to us and we to Him through our Savior Jesus Christ. It's a reason. It's a rational thought. We sing about five bleeding wounds Jesus received on Calvary that pour forth effectual prayers at the throne of God, and they say, forgive him. 
forgive him. He's covered. Don't let that ransomed sinner die. You know, we have a reason to then talk to our souls, address our souls rationally, and say, Arise! Shake off your guilty fears. Uh, we sing, um, uh, uh, Jesus, I my cross have taken. Jesus, I my cross have taken. And Jesus, I my cross have taken. The third verse, the writer flips it, and he starts talking to his soul, doesn't he? You remember, he says, Take my soul, thy full salvation. He doesn't say, go out and buy a full gospel Bible. He says, take my soul, thy full salvation. Rise over sin <coughs> and fear and care, but not for no reason. He says, think about the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Think about the fact that the Heavenly Father smiles upon you. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ covering you. He sees Christ's righteousness and the Heavenly Father looks at you and me and smiles upon us. The song goes on to say, Think what a Savior died to win thee, child of heaven. Shouldst thou be full of worry and doubt? That's a hymn writer reasoning with his own soul, and that's exactly what the psalmist is doing. He's having a rational, reasonable, worshipful discussion with his own soul. It's not some peppy little uh, simple pep talk. It's not a simplistic uh, problem, uh, answer to a uh, complex problem. But he is, he is having a rational conversation. He, he is uh, creating a catalog, a uh, recitation. He, he is uh, recounting what he knows to be true about his covenant Lord. I don't know what that is. All right. <laughs> Next time you have a technical problem, Richard, just, just call me. Look at verse 2, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You may have remember all his benefits. And I submit to you that one of our greatest problems, I know mine, is to forget what God has done and who he is, uh, his kind intention poured out on us. Just like some poor young chap standing in a McDonald's forgetting all along that he had this help and this support and this confidence and strength. And so where does David begin in all of his remembering? He begins in verse 3, who says, he says, Forget not all uh, God's benefits, my soul, who forgives all your sins. And let me stop there. Augustine said that God's benefits will not be before our eyes unless our sins be also before our eyes. Uh, you know, Psalm 130, Martin Luther penned this hymn after Psalm 130, and it starts out with these words, From depths of woe I raise to thee the voice of lamentation. A fine place to start. But you remember what the last words in the whole song are? Uh, our shepherd, good and true is he, who will at last his Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. Of course, he's modeling it after Psalm 130. But you see, in the mind of Luther, he starts a song from depths of woe, thinking about his sin, but he doesn't grovel in it. He thinks about this God, this good shepherd who's true, who, who, who delivers from sin and sorrow. 
That's what David is doing here. And you notice how these verses are laced uh, with grace. Uh, you've got forgiveness of sins. Verse 3, he heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, satisfies you, and so on. And let me stop on heals your diseases for just a second. Let's see you're not bogged down by it. Um, people, studied people, disagree on whether that means physical diseases or the state of one's own spiritually diseased and impoverished and, and dead soul. Let me tell you what I think it means. If you look at the context, um, praise the Lord, verse 2, oh, my soul. He's talking to his soul. Forget not all God's benefits, my soul, who forgives all my soul's sins, heals all my soul's diseases, redeems my soul's life from the pit, crowns my soul with love and compassion, satisfies my soul, renews the youth of my soul, and so on. I think it's talking about the sickness in our soul and, and, and all that. But whatever the case, I found something very interesting in little Spurgeon's uh, Treasury of David about this lady who heard John Knox preach Psalm 103. And she became a Christian as a result. She embraced Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord as a result of John Knox preaching this. And she was a woman that had been racked with physical pain for years and years and years. There's no Advil. There's no jacuzzis. Uh, she's just hurting all the time. And she hears this, this sermon preached, accepts the Lord. And her, her, the quote is, this is great. She says, a thousand years of this torment and ten times more joined are not to be compared to a quarter of an hour of my soul's troubles. <laughs> and I think that's valuable here because, you know, whether that means physical diseases or spiritual diseases or whatever, we're not to miss the, the grandeur of the point, which is this great contrast that is laid out for us by the psalmist. Look at verse 3 again. He uh, forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit. And look at the contrast. What then does he do? He crowns you with love and compassion, satisfies you with good things, restores your youth like that of the eagles. He works righteousness, justice for the oppressed. And you see this great contrast between what the, the, the problems that we once had and the great sufficiency of this God who has rescued us. You look at the portrait that David paints in uh, uh, verse 8. Paints this picture of God. Um, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Uh, quoting the Lord himself. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us uh, as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Let me read you something really... Uh, this is just a great, uh, don't do, this is, but uh, uh, <laughs> let me just read you something from here. This is just a beautiful, uh, uh, beautiful rendition of this. Um, he, oh, listen to this. Yahweh is tender and compassionate, slow to anger, most loving. His indignation does not last forever. His resentment exists a short time only. He never treats us, never punishes us as our guilt and our sins deserve. No less than the height of heaven over earth 
is the greatness of his love for those who fear him. He takes our sins farther away than the east is from the west. Isn't that beautiful? This is not the most profound point in the whole world, but I find it interesting that it says that he, he, he takes our sin uh, as far uh, as the east is from the west. Now, you know, the, the Bible's written in, in terms that humans can understand, and I find it interesting that he didn't say north and south in reference to our sin. And if you start right here uh, in Memphis and you go north, we live on an orb, and you head northward on the orb and you get toward the top, there comes a point where you're not going north anymore. You, know, you, you round the top and you come down. If you're going south, you get to the bottom. There comes a point where you're not going south anymore. You're going north. But if we start right here and go east, we go around the orb and we come back to the same spot, we, we go east forever and ever and ever. <laughs> and so it's this great picture, ladies and gentlemen. Our, our sin separated from us in such a way. Now let me ask you a question. If God is righteous, and he is, and if God must separate himself from iniquity, which he does, how far then is our God and his holiness from wickedness and impurity? <laughs> as far as east is from west. If that is so, and it is, how vast was our trouble due to sin. It was as vast as east is from west. How full then is the work of our Savior Jesus Christ? How, how deep his love for us? How comprehensive as far as that? What a thing to discuss with one's own soul. What a thing to bring up. Recollect. Not just, not just when granny's sick. But what a thing for us to think of every single day, instance after instance, that our God has, has poured out this infinite bounty uh, on us. In, in verse 13 it says, uh, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Man is like grass. He flourishes like a flower. The wind blows. He's gone. And the place where he was is, he remembers him no more. I mean, who in here knows your, your great-grandmother's name? Anybody? Who in here knows your great-great-grandmother's name? Anyone? Dave, one weird guy. <laughs> Let me tell you, you know, here we are, the wind blows. We don't even know our own bloodline. They're forgotten. And God remembers that we are but dust. He remembers how we are formed. And I say to you, if he remembers those things, how we should not forget all his benefits. He remembers. Verse 2, we should remember his great benefits. We must say to our souls that uh, we must not forget his benefits. 
Let me, let me ask you to turn to Psalm 42. This is another loved psalm, uh, not David's, but, you know, as the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, O God, and so on. Uh, he says um, uh, in verse 4 of Psalm 42, uh, verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. Uh, verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Here they are. I remember how I used to go with the multitude. I used to even lead the procession to the house of God. I, I used to shout with joy and shout with thanksgiving. I used to be amongst the uh, festive throng. And guess who he talks to? Verse 5, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And here's the rational coming through. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You see the medicine prescribed for us, men and women of, of Jesus Christ. You know, we remember certain things and our hearts are dragged down and we remember certain failures and we're dragged down. We remember certain sins and we think, how could I have done such a thing? And, and uh, we remember how complex the situations are that we face. How are we ever going to resolve these things? How will I ever make it? Why is your, my soul downcast? Well, put your hope in God. Think about the things of God. Think about who He is and what he is like, and what he has done. Think about the fact that you're just a, a flower that flourishes for a time, but he remembers you. Think about those things, and I say to you, and this is not trite, I say to you that it's, it's health for your soul. It's refreshment for your soul. It's courage and confidence where you might not have had any. And, and I say that, uh, you know, uh, Brent Harriman, you know, Swedish-looking Brent Harriman, uh, who's off at Covenant Seminary, he and I are very close friends, and we email each other. We spent a half an hour on the phone today and just talking about the Lord and our, our spiritual lives, and he's, we, we're, he, we keep each other accountable. I mean, we're still very close, and I would say that the thing that he's been most excited to share with me in all the time since September, since he's been in seminary, was something that a professor told him, which is, for every thought you think about, your sin, uh, your failures, your faults, for every thought you think about those things, you should think 10 thoughts about the Lord Jesus. Don't you find that interesting that, that the one thing that seems to have impacted him more than anything else of all the stuff that he studied is that? For every thought you think about your sin, failure, flaws, think 10 thoughts about the Lord Jesus. And I add, think 10 more about the Father who loves you. Think 10 more about the Comforter that was sent by Jesus Christ and the Father to dwell in you. Let us dwell on those things and see if we don't rise over sin and fear and care. I, I uh, read a lot of... I have to read people that are smarter than me. 
and i i read a lot of commentaries and they love outlines and they just have outlines upon outlines upon outlines and you all know preaching styles where there's you know three p's and today we have four w's and everything's got to be cute and commentary writers do that all left and right all over the place and it kind of bogs me down a little bit at times but i was looking at this whole this is twenty two verses and I was kind of looking at it, and I, I thought, well, I'm going to write myself a, just a kind of an outline just to keep the whole thing straight in my head. And so I just kind of just scattered some stuff down. You know, you've got this, uh, it starts the same way, you know, you've got this envelope, praise the Lord on my soul on both sides. And you've got this thing about uh, how we should remember in verse 2 and how God remembers our plight and so on. And I think that's a pretty neat observation. And I kind of went down, and I think about all these things that God has done. That was my next little thing. God did all these things. You know, he forgives sins, heals, uh, and so on, crowns us with love and compassion and all that. And then it tells us some things about what God is like. Slow, uh, you know, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He won't accuse and all that stuff. It tells us things about what we're like, how we're like the grass that withers and, and all that stuff. And then I got to the last part. And just... Off the top of my head, I was like, oh, what are these, this last chunk of verses, uh, verse 20 and on, I just kind of, um, I, called it the, I called it the grace crescendo. Just kind of, I thought of something just so I wouldn't forget it, the grace crescendo. Well, you know what a crescendo is? You know, if you're a musician, you know that pianissimo is super duper quiet. And so you might start with pianissimo. And when a song gets louder and louder and louder and louder, it's a crescendo. And you know that uh, a crescendo is drawn like, uh, like that. And so it starts out real quiet, and it might go to super-duper loud. And I, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, well, that's a grace crescendo. <laughs> because you look at, at, verse, uh, at verse 20. Look at it. Praise the Lord, uh, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord. All his heavenly hosts. We have angels, his mighty ones who do his bidding. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts. You his servants who do his will. Gets bigger even still. Praise the Lord, all his works. Not only that, but everywhere in his dominion. You, you see that it, it, it increases and increases and increases and has the word all in it. Do you get the idea that the psalmist understands what the Lord is due and from whom? The Lord Almighty is due all. And he's due it from all. And those are words of grace and comfort to our soul. You know, there's a, there are eternal ramifications of that too. And uh, let, me, let me ask you to flip to Ephesians 3. Keep your finger there. Paul's writing, uh, and uh, he, he writes to the uh, Christians in Ephesus, and he, he says in verse 10 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, he's talking about this mystery that's been uh, made clear, and uh, uh, that, that Jesus is the Christ, and he scooped up more than the Israelites and collected a people uh, called the church. You know, the church isn't just, uh, you know, this deal. Uh, it's, it's this collection of, of God's people, Christ's body. Verse 10 of chapter 3 says, God's intent was that now, through the church, that's us, the saved people, now through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I look around the room and let me... Oh, Mahoney. I look at uh, Pat Mahoney over there and I look at Mahoney and I, I say, you know, you realize that uh, the heavenly realms look at the Mahoney's <laughs> and they, they look at you and, and they see that you are one of these people that was outside the, the kingdom as far as east is from west from God. And they see that God has stooped, sent His own Son to spill His own blood to pay a penalty that you deserved. He rescues you. Not only that, He calls you His own. Not only that, He unites you with Christ and raises you up to His heavenly realms seated with Christ. And you know that God did that through you. <laughs> that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to, to all the heavenlies. Do you realize the implications of that? That they say, oh, that's what grace is. Oh, that's what the love of God looks like. That's what mercy is. That's what long-suffering is. And they see God's nature in a way not revealed before because of what God has done on our behalf. Scooping up sinners, the, the heavens go, oh, we never knew the depth of the riches of the love of God. What things to discuss with your own soul, ladies and gentlemen. I, I close very simply with uh, the reading of this Grace Crescendo one more time. If you would just uh, flip back to Psalm 103. And I call it a grace crescendo because, as you'll see when I read it, it, it builds and builds and builds. But the magnificence is so subtle and, and beautiful and sweet. Verse 20. Praise the Lord, you His angels, you mighty ones who do His bidding, who obey His word. Praise the Lord, all His heavenly hosts. You, His servants who do His will. Even more, praise the Lord, all His works. Everywhere in His dominion. Praise the Lord. You know, that's the height of the crescendo. A little old quiet part about a sinner like me that God rescued. Men and women, one of the things I know to be true is that we're tormented people. We're all tormented people. You know, some people wear it on the outside in a 30-inch, 30 38-inch waist. <laughs> you know, 
some people have it in different ways. Some people have internal struggles and things they grapple with and, and things that are brought into our lives. I'm telling you, all this happy-go-lucky looking stuff out there is all a lie. People who are fallen, living in a fallen world, wrestle with all kinds of hard, real things. But I say to you that the medicine for our soul, the great comfort can always be and only be who God is and what he has done on our behalf. And so I say with David, praise the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. And I encourage you to discuss it with your own soul every single hour. Heavenly Father, who would invent a God like you? A God we would invent would tolerate our every whim. A God we would invent would let us slide over this thing or that. God we would invent would give us whatever our hearts wanted. And yet you reign on a throne and you have revealed yourself to your people. And we see a God there that reigns in glory and majesty. God before all that he has made, everything in his dominion must bow down before. And we see this great separation between sin and righteousness and you and wickedness, you and us. We see the great sufficiency of our Savior Jesus Christ fully meeting that great expanse. And we bow before you, O oh God, in awe. You are not the God that we would have invented. And so, Lord, we pray that you would draw us close to you and you would cause us to reflect on who you are and discuss rationally and reasonably and with great comfort and joy these deep things, wonderful things with our own souls. For we pray it in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Thanks, y'all. You've got choir. You better... Uh... Good battle. <laughs>